We all know baseball is a long season. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. This summer, take a trip down memory lane with me and hear from the legends of the game. So far this year, I've had conversations with Randy Johnson, Pete Rose, Deion Sanders. Plus, every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. It is Tuesday, 3.08, drive time with DeRussia, Jason with you, and another retirement announcement from the state legislature, another representative who's been around for a while, a Republican known for getting things done, 10 times elected on behalf of the people of Farmington. Pat Garofalo is with us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. Pat, thanks for being with us. Uh, what's going on? Why are you retiring after, after 20 years in the Minnesota house? Well, first of all, thanks for having me on Jason. Uh, I think the answer to your question is embedded in the question because I've been here 20 years. That's why Jason. So I, uh, I never thought that I would be in elected office this long, uh, ended up going longer than I expected, but just short answer is I feel like, uh, it's, I've kind of done my part. I served my sentence, and it's time to uh, give someone else a chance at uh, public policy leadership in the in the district that I represent. It's been, a, it's been an honor. I've uh, it's. I tell people I I wish I could explain this to everyone, but it is both the greatest gift you can give anyone to be able to represent people in elected office, and it is also the worst thing ever sometimes <laughs> so it's uh. But I really I enjoy what, learning. What about it? Discovery. It's a great job. What about it? Uh, have the worst parts about it gotten worse over recent years? Um, well, I think it's fair to say that both political parties are getting increasingly dominated by less compromising, more extremist elements. Um, and you certainly see it more when a party is has total control and they're governing. So whether you look at um, other states where Republicans are in total control or you look at Minnesota right now with the Democrats in total control, it is the, um, it's the hardest, farthest extremist elements that are dominating the public policy debate that are getting the most clicks on social media and are getting their way. And uh, that's certainly, it's not in the tradition of Minnesota, and it's really not something I'm interested in doing. So, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean, it, so, and again, and I can, I can, you know, I'm not running again. I can just be 100% blunt, right? I mean, you, you see this happening in all Republican states, and you see it in all Democrat states, too. And sadly, that's where that's where Minnesota is right now. Yeah, it's not unique to Minnesota, which is part of, I think, what makes a lot of us sad that we used to uh, be able to say, you know, we have uh, people on the right and people on the left who, when they see a good idea, will work together to get that good idea implemented. And exactly. I think that's still 100 percent. Yeah, it still happens, Pat, but it's not very often. I mean, if you if you look at Minnesota, for example, I mean, we are a geographically isolated cold weather state that historically has been successful. And that history is not based off of ideology. It's based off of doing a better job of cooperating, and working together than other states. And so now that we have adopted and just to be clear, it's like it's easy for me to be critical of 
the Democrats in total control of Minnesota. But you can make the same arguments about states that are all Republican. You know, Minnesota's policies now are mimicking a colder version of Illinois. And that just that is not bode well for our future. And we would be much better off if in our culture and in our institutions, we had more Minnesotans involved in the decision making than just 50 percent plus one. Pat Garofalo is with us. Kurt Dowd announcing he is leaving. You announcing you are leaving. Part of it, I look at this and I'm like, am I just looking at, you know, my 20 years of covering news in Minnesota? I think of you two as Republicans who are uh, outspoken, forthright. You know, certainly if you ask the left, I don't think they'd say, oh, these these two are, you know, centrist. I don't know that you would describe yourself as centrist. But I feel like both of you guys have been uh, uh, sort of like the politicians I was raised with in, in suburban Chicago, where getting stuff done was more important than getting the win. Is that fair? Um, I think, you know, everyone's their own individual. And certainly I have I'm a conservative who on occasion votes independently, um, you know, as long as on social media, I've got 10 percent telling everyone I'm a right wing lunatic. And then I got 10% telling everyone I'm a rhino, left-wing, uh, liberal Republican. As long as I got those extremes both yelling at me, I'm exactly where I want to be. So I feel pretty, uh, I feel pretty comfortable. But in terms of you know where things are at and where things are going, um, you know I think it's for those that follow the budget process very closely, you can see that after the election in 24, uh, 2025 is going to be an extraordinarily challenging budget for whoever gets elected. Um, the surplus has all been spent. It's all gone. Um, we don't have deficits anymore. We just have um, structural imbalances, I guess. <laughs> but um, regardless of who wins, there's going to be um, there's going to be a lot of challenges in Minnesota with how to how to balance the budget. And I think that um, certainly those who are coming in are going to have they're going to face some. Cha- um, it's going to be difficult. And um, we'll see how we'll see how what Minnesotans choose in November and how that goes forward. But I think that's part of the reason why you're seeing members of both sides of the aisle kind of say, well, you know, now's a good time to move on to something else. Pat Garofalo with us here on CCO at 315. Pat, you are one of the people really uh, working towards uh, legalizing sports gambling here in Minnesota. Do you see any hope for getting that done before you retire at the end of your term? Uh, or, or are you not hopeful for that? It is funny that like, you know, I've worked on education reform, cutting taxes, education, you know, um, energy policy, all these big workforce development, but all everyone wants to talk about is sports gambling. And I love it. I love it because, um, it's a, I'm a big fan of it. I mean, it's, it's one of those like small things that we should be able to get done. I think that's uh, it, right? Like it's not, and I, I take my share of responsibility for this too. It's a lot easier to grab onto some of this. I, I don't want to say low hanging fruit because all of it does impact people's lives, but getting your arms around education policy is a lot more work for the regular person than saying, why can't I place a bet on a Vikings game? Right. That's exactly it. Yeah. Kind of teasing you a little yeah, bit, there, yeah. Jason. But the uh, I own it. I think that I own it. Yeah, here's the here's the thing: is that sports gambling, like who gets to offer it, just isn't that controversial. That's not the problem. The problem is that um, there's concern that, however, the framework is established for sports gambling, 
that's going to be the framework that is used for iGaming. You know, the idea that you'll be able to bet on your phones like you can in Michigan or Pennsylvania, you know, slot machines, craps, and stuff like that. And that concerns a lot of people. So sports gambling, not that big of a deal, but that's there's a concern that that'll be the foundation for um, iGaming. And because of the structure we have for gaming right now in Minnesota, you can understand why they're justifiably concerned. I would like to see us get something done. Um, that being said, I also understand that while it may be an important issue to me, and, and it's a fun issue to talk about, that there's going to be uh, a lot more pressing concerns for the legislature, especially just getting the getting the um, school resource officers back in the school. I think that's, you know, it's going to be really hard to talk about anything else until we get that done. So, but we'll see. I, I hope we can. Do you, do you, is there someone else you, you look to who you think will sort of grab the framework or take grab the mantle on that issue? Oh, I don't want to poison the reputation by associating it with me. <laughs> but I do know that, like, in the Senate, Jeremy Miller, in the House, uh, Zach Stevenson, uh, they are both been um, spending a lot of time, um, you know, trying to get the stakeholders together. But you can you can understand that if, if it's just sports gambling, that's pretty easy. But when you start thinking about the future and the digitization of gaming, and all you got to do is look at the numbers out of Michigan to see where – more wagers are placed online than in person in for Michigan. Sure. That's going to be, it's pretty controversial. So I want to play for you what former governor Tim Pawlenty uh, said about you during Chad's show, just within the last half hour. Here's the former governor. The G force is my nickname for him. He is a great guy. I've known him a long, long time and he's just a no BS. You know, what you see is what you get person. And he's also talented and he's been there a long time, but uh, you know, the place is frustrating he wants to get things done. He's practical. He's pragmatic. And I'm sure he's at a point where, particularly if he has to look at continuing to serve in the minority when you don't have a lot of you know, final decision-making authority, um, he just had enough. And I would say he has served Minnesota extremely well. He's a talented person and can do a lot of stuff. We're lucky to have had him in the legislature. And I wish he had even a bigger political future. He's a, he's a, decent, he's a wonderful person, but he's also just a very pragmatic public servant and i wish we had a lot more like him these days in the republican party i'm not sure if that's an endorsement that helps or hurts but that sure is nice you know i gotta i i didn't hear uh, the governor say that i'm actually like really honored like i'm kind of like tearing up a little bit here he's a you know he's a obviously the he's the last republican to win statewide in our state and um i have nothing but good things to say about him but for you know for tim Pawlenty to um give those compliments to me. That really means it's like one of the most important compliments I've gotten in elected office. That means a lot to me. And in your, and if someone thinks that Tim Pawlenty saying that about you is anything other than a compliment then the problem is with the person, not yeah. with that. I mean, yeah. he's a really, really good dude. And wow. I, I, I had not, um, I'm, as soon as I get the phone to you, I'm going to call and I'm going to have to haze them a little bit or something. So, so, <laughs> oh, I'm um, glad we played that. I'm, sharing that with you. Yeah, I'm glad uh, we yeah, played that. Sharing that. I had not heard that. Well, I really respect uh, Tim Pawlenty as well. So when, when he said that in a, a compliment like that, I thought uh, for sure it was worth getting a reaction to and playing it again. Representative Pat Garofalo from Farmington. Hearing that, I know you've been asked before if you had interest in running for any sort of higher office. Will you run for something again, or is your time in politics done? Well, um, I want to make a difference, but my uh, I will not be doing that in the form of running for any other form of elected office. It's a, you know, I'm a 
I'm a computer geek who's an extrovert. It took a really unique series of events for a guy like me to get elected. And it took an even more unique series of events for me to stay in office this long. But uh, no, I think it's, you know, in terms of elected office, this will do it. But I am going to try to find um, an opportunity just to make a difference and make Minnesota better. That's all I really want to do. And uh, I'm a little bit nervous leaving without a plan. You know, (laughs) I can I can just do my network engineering and be happy with that. But you don't uh, have the you don't have the giant Kurt Dowd big time money Washington, D.C. job lined up. Well, I don't, I don't know what Kurt's doing, but uh, um, no, I'm not going to. I'm not doing that. I'm not going to DC. And I, uh, like I said, I don't, uh, I don't have a particular plan right now. But um, I think you know the time for me to serve an elected office. That phase of my life is done, and now we'll see what uh, we'll see what opportunities are out there that I can apply for. And I just, again, it's all about. Um, I just want to make a difference, right? I, like like most Minnesotans do. I just want to make a difference, and that's uh, that's what I want to spend my time doing in the you know next ten or fifteen years that I spend working. Well, I've enjoyed uh, our chats and enjoyed following you on social media as well all these years. You're one of the first uh, who uh, elected officials really talking about the experience of owning a Tesla. And uh, it's fascinating to me that today that's become such a political issue when really you're looking at new technology. I'm a bit of a tech geek myself. Like, you look at the advance here, you look at the opportunity. To me, it's a little surprising that that, I guess, everything's <laughs> become political, but like... Oh, it's funny. Like, when I, when I, when I bought my car, I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you. Yeah. In 2014, when I bought my car, both the Star Tribune and the Pioneer Press did a story <laughs> on the new Republican chair driving an electric car. Like, this was news. <laughs> and yeah. and when, whenever anyone wants to make the Tesla political, I'm like, hey, I just bought it because it goes fast, looks cool, and pollutes less. I just think it's neat. You know, I don't, yeah. I, I don't understand the controversy. But yeah, I'm, I'm with you, Jason. I don't. Uh, some of the stuff I don't understand, but I, I still have my Tesla, and I love it. And I think everyone should buy one because they're awesome. But well, do what you want to do. That's right. That's right. Uh, Good talking to you. Congratulations. I know it's always a big deal. As someone who has changed uh, careers in midlife, it's always a little scary, uh, but exciting, too. So good luck to you as you uh, figure it out and keep serving over this uh, next couple of months. We'll we'll do it. Thanks for having me on. Pat Garofalo with us here on CCO. Just making news today, announcing uh, that he's stepping down. That part of the state is very Republican. Pat Garofalo has won his last two elections by, I think, a margin of like 62-38. So it's a pretty safe Republican seat. It shouldn't have implications. But we'll see. Elections happen. We'll see uh, who the candidates are going forward. 323. We'll take a break and be right back here on Drive Time. So last hour, Chad was talking about the Good Samaritan. uh, And uh, Susie had it in the top of the hour news as well. It's it's an astonishing story. The, The... the guy who sees this truck driver who, who crashed into a river, you know, it's, it's zero degrees. It's freezing. It's Monday morning, Monday afternoon, rather, sees uh, a truck plunging into the Crow River. This is right by Rogers, uh, Highway 101, that area. So the northwest suburbs. Truck driver's 25 years old, hits the guardrail. And this 46-year-old guy from Otsego, Christopher Kirk, just gets down there and just gets in it. Uh, Lots of people have been texting in with their own stories of helping or being helped. 
I'd love to hear more of those at 651-461-9226. One texter writing uh, that when they were in fifth grade, their teacher passed out. She ended up being fine, but somehow a few of those fifth graders kind of kicked into action, sent somebody for help, and the texter's saying that it does sort of reinforce that in moments of crisis, a lot of times that help instinct kicks in. Uh, It's pretty amazing. It's pretty amazing when you think of someone in crisis, especially like it's one thing if you are in your office and somebody goes down. My in-laws were just on a flight back from Vegas. And someone passed out. They stopped breathing. Not just passed out, they stopped breathing. And they do the, you know, is there a medical professional on the flight? And there was a nurse right there, an emergency room nurse, who stepped up and started helping. Now, that's an ER nurse. It seems like whenever they call for medical professionals on a flight, there's always someone. (laughs) Just sort of, statistically, I guess it checks out. It sort of makes sense. But you think about regular people kind of when they jump in and when they help. And I think that you can read those stories and hear those stories and beat yourself up a little bit. You know, when I first uh, heard this story, I thought like, gosh, I don't know that I would do what Chris Kirk did. Um, I, I... but I don't know if you asked Chris Kirk two weeks ago if he would do this, he'd probably say, I, I don't I don't know. Like, I hope I would. But I don't know. Um, I guess we're all lucky that that instinct is somewhere within enough people where they feel the instinct and then also take the action. It's pretty remarkable. Uh, if you've had those kind of moments, love to hear them. 651 461 9226. We're going to do traffic and weather together in just a minute. And then we'll talk with Chris Saliza, who joins us often on Drive Time to kind of analyze political uh, events. He's been a political analyst for a long time, writing for the Washington Post and for, uh, a, an analyst on CNN. And now he writes his own uh, newsletter, uh, his own Substack. But he joins us to tell us some of the takeaways from Iowa. And if this means the Republican Party is essentially done, that it is now the party of Donald Trump. We'll talk to Chris Liz about Iowa in just a minute here on Drive Time. I'm Brett Boone from the Brett Boone Podcast. Every week we look at the state of Major League Baseball, which teams are exceeding expectations, which ones are struggling to meet them. Follow and listen to the Brett Boone Podcast on the free Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Well, if you were expecting any sort of an upset or a surprise last night in Iowa, the only real surprise from the Iowa caucuses, for me anyway, was just how dominant former President Donald Trump was in the first in the nation Republican caucus. And Chris Saliza joins us on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker hotline, political analyst, uh, commentator, uh, self-publisher. Uh, joining us today. Chris, it's good to talk to you. 
Uh, good to talk to you. I don't know if you heard this. There was a lot of coverage of it. It was cold in Iowa. I had not heard that. Boy, yeah, Nat- people didn't talk a lot yeah. about it. Reporters didn't mention it. National media complaining about the Midwest <laughs> weather. That is unheard of. Shocking. Uh, there, there was a soft bunch. I know. You know. Oh, so delicate. So once yes. you guys come down from your ivory towers to the Midwest, you just don't well, even. I don't know like to. to travel because I can't bring my hyperbaric chamber with me that I have in my house. <laughs> That's fair. That's fair. Chris, uh, Donald Trump was ahead in all the polls. The mm-hmm. the Des Moines Register poll was almost right on the money with his yep. with his margin of victory. But uh, were were you surprised uh, by the strength of of the turnout and of the vote for him in Iowa? A little bit in that I think that I think people underestimate how hard it is to get your voters to turn out when you've been ahead by 30 or 40 points for a year and a half. Well, yeah, you you know, just I mean, it's well, so easy. It's much easier to stay home and say, we got this. I don't really totally, need to come out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's it's like every every, uh, you know, we're in college basketball season. Every time the number two team ranked team loses to a, uh, an unranked team, it's because at some level they didn't get up for the game. Whereas for the unranked team, this was the game of the year, right? I mean, that's the dynamic you're dealing with. It's hard to be the front runner in some regards. I think any look, Nikki Haley would change with Donald Trump in a second in terms of his positioning the race as with Ron DeSantis. But I do think when polling shows you ahead by 25, 30, 35, to win by 30 uh, and more than double the previous uh, biggest margin of victory ever in an Iowa Republican caucus, that was Bob Dole in uh, 1988, won by 12. I think it's significant. It's not, so I would say, not surprising, given, given sort of what we know about this race, but not, not insignificant either. Is it over? Is it over? Yeah, but I would have told you it was over probably before Iowa, too. I mean, I just, the only thing that could have, well, let's say that the Iowa caucuses were Trump, 40, Haley, 32, Okay, you could talk me into, you know, DeSantis 20 or whatever. You could talk me into, like, oh, okay, like he's underperforming polling, she's overperforming polling, even in a state that she didn't spend that much time in. Um, and if the, the data inside the, the uh, election results showed that she was winning over Republican-based voters, right, non-college-educated Republicans, I'd say, okay, well, yeah, maybe we have a race. But the truth is, like, what happened last night was, I, I mean, I hate to say it because it's bad for business, but a little bit boring. We thought he would win overwhelmingly. He won overwhelmingly. You know, I get a little bit annoyed at these people who are saying like, well, he only won with 51% of the vote. It was in a six-way field. Well, you know, uh, turnout was down. It was, you know, two degrees or whatever. I mean, there's, I just think there's a tendency to, among some people, to always try to undermine anything Donald Trump does successfully in the political realm. He and his campaign deserve credit. This is a state that eight years ago, he was supposed to win. He lost the Iowa caucuses to Ted Cruz. Now he went on and said it was rigged and he actually hadn't lost, sort of a precursor of things to come. But he lost the Iowa caucuses back in in, in 2016. He wins overwhelmingly eight years later. And I, I just think he deserves credit for, he and his campaign deserve credit for the campaign they ran. And again, to get back to your, your previous question, your, your question is, I thought it was over before Iowa. All Iowa did is kind of confirm that the base of the party is for Donald Trump. And until somebody shows me that that's going to change,
change. And it hasn't changed in seven and a half years. Until somebody shows me that's going to change, I just don't see how anyone beats him. Chris Aliza is with us. You can find him on Substack, uh, and he joins us here on Drive Time. Chris, I, to me, Donald Trump didn't just win the kind of hardcore MAGA Trump type voters. He won everything. Like, Correct. Everything, almost yeah. every county. Is there any argument that the Republican Party, which I think a lot of especially like sort of boring moderates like me have this wish casting dream that there are these sort of pragmatic, moderate Republicans uh, that's gone, right? Like, this is the Republican. This is the Republican Party. It's Trump. Yeah, there's there's probably about, you know. 10 to 15 percent of the Republican Party is what you just described. The problem is the other 90 yeah. <laughs> percent. I mean, the, the, well, not yes, the problem, but Nikki, that's the reality, right? Yeah, yeah. Nikki Haley. Yeah, for Nikki Haley is going to get, you know, uh, she look in a state like New Hampshire, which comes up a week from today. Uh, Democrats and independents can vote. Uh, there's no Democratic primary in New Hampshire. Right. My guess would be there are significant crossover. She's going to you know, she could win. But again, I just think the Republican base, in the same way that the Democratic base chooses the Democratic nominee, the Republican base ultimately would choose the Republican nominee. And the Republican base is for Trump. And as you said, it wasn't just the sort of what we've always thought of, white, non-college educated men. Yes, he won those groups overwhelmingly. But he won college educated voters over Haley uh, in Iowa. You mentioned this, but he won 98 of 99 counties. And the one county he lost, he lost by one vote. I mean, this was a Stop it. Domination. It was an absolute destruction. Absolutely. And if it was anyone else uh, who didn't have the sort of baggage that he obviously has, much of itself induced, but if we would be talking about a stunning and historic victory, uh, because that's what it was. I don't love the Iowa caucuses. I've been down there to cover it. I used to work in Iowa in my first job as a reporter, so I- I've covered these things. I I think in today's technological age, it is ridiculous, sort of this way of conducting an election. And certainly the Democrats have decided, like, because of the debacle last time, that they weren't really even going to pay much attention uh, to Iowa. Is is this, I mean, I, I hate to say the beginning of the end of the caucuses, but this romantic idea that you visit every county and the voters get to know you and all this stuff. I mean, Ron DeSantis visited every county and still uh, was only able to get 23,000 votes, 21 percent. It's it's so funny you say that. So I I keep I have a monitor that sits sort of a big monitor that I write on. You know, I have my laptop off to my right at my desk and a big monitor in front of me that I'm sort of doing most of my work on. And on that monitor, I put uh, yellow post-it notes for things that I want to write that I don't want to forget, right? Like, I'm getting old, so i got to write down (laughs) stuff so I don't forget it. So I'm looking, as you were talking, I am staring at a post-it note in which I have written in Sharpie, Iowa caucus dead. Um. That may be a slight overstatement, but I think what I mean and what you're getting at are the same thing. 
the Iowa, the romanticized vision of the Iowa caucus, you know, and I've been there a million times and yeah. covered it throughout a bunch of elections. And what everyone always says is like, yes, it's very white. Yes, it's not representative of the country necessarily, but retail politics still matters. You've got to go and shake hands and kick tires and stand on hay bales and go to diners and go to the pizza ranch. And the truth of the matter is, it's like, look at, you, you mentioned DeSantis. He, he went to all 99 counties. Vivek Ramaswamy went to all 99 counties twice yeah. and got less than 7% of the vote. You know how many counties Donald Trump went to in Iowa? 20. Yeah. And he got 51% of the vote, one by 30. Is this so, because retail politics doesn't matter, or is this because no one likes Vivek Ramaswamy and no <laughs> one likes Ron DeSantis? It might be a little of both. Um, but I do think that retail politics is, I, I think, yeah, you I know think the so tip, fam, famous Tip O'Neill phrase, all politics is local. I actually think that that is no longer true, particularly I once agree. you get to the level we're talking about here. I, th- these races are totally nationalized. Yes. I, I was thinking back to yes. 2008 when John McCain, it was a huge deal. I remember it was such a big deal. John McCain opposed ethanol subsidies. And it was like, oh, he can never win Iowa. Like, there wasn't, I, I couldn't find one ethanol clip in this entire race. It was all about, like, immigration and crime and Washington, D.C. Is, is, is a mess and there's graffiti everywhere. You know what I mean? Like, it had nothing to do with Iowa issues. That campaign could have been run in South Dakota. It could have been run in Minnesota. It could have been run in my home state of Connecticut. Like, it, it didn't matter. Like, the, the race now is so nationalized, whether it's cable TV, social media, the presence of Donald Trump. I, you know, it's probably all of those things. But this idea that, like, retail, like meeting people, and that's what really matters. No way. Certainly not now. I I just think that traditional notion of the Iowa caucuses is quaint and outdated. Chris Eliza is with us uh, on the John Schuster Coldwell Banker Hotline. So as we look ahead and we look at Nikki Haley and Ron DeSantis, both of who said sort of laughable things. I mean, what are you going to do when you just got wiped in the competition? Yeah, you got to say something, but it's hard. It's it's hard. Uh, what what is there a path for either of these two? No, no. Um, so is there no, a VP really. like? Do, I mean, I don't think Trump DeSantis. I, I, stranger things could happen, I guess, but I don't see that. Is what? Yeah, I was going to say. So a path to a path to being the Republican presidential nominee in twenty twenty four. No, um, uh, and I should say. Put an asterisk there. I should always say, barring some sort of cataclysm or health emergency or something like that, that is entirely unforeseen. If nothing like that happens, Donald Trump will be the Republican nominee. The debate we're having now, what New Hampshire will decide is, is this primary going to last another six to eight weeks, or is it basically over next Tuesday? If Trump wins, it's over next Tuesday. If Haley wins, we're going to go at least another month until February 24th in the South Carolina primary, where, honestly, even though she is the former governor of the state, Trump would start out as a heavy favorite. Um, Is there a path toward sort of the national ticket? I don't think so for for DeSantis, at at least right now. Uh, And I do for Haley. Look, you know, I mean, I think she makes the most sense as his VP pick. That certainly doesn't mean he will pick her. I mean, he, he, you know, he does not always operate under what makes the most political sense. But um, I think she does make the most sense. I think she's sort of proven herself as a candidate. She's charismatic. She's a good debater. I think she's pretty good on her feet. Uh, She certainly would be what the Republican Party writ large needs, which is less older white male faces. Um, So I think she makes sense for a ton of reasons there. Um, 
you know, does he pick her? I, you know, I, yeah. trying to predict what Donald Trump does on a daily basis is not not an yeah. easy, not something I've been particularly good. Pass. At. Let's pass. We'll both pass. Yeah. We'll both punt on that opportunity. Yeah. Chris, good stuff. I appreciate it. Thanks for being Always. with us. Always. Thanks for having me. Enjoy your week. Chris Saliza, you can find him. His sub stack is called So What? Chris Saliza joining us here on CCO. 349, it's too cold to what? Fill in the blank at 651-461-9226. It is too cold to fill in the blank. 651-461-9226. It is too cold to stick your tongue in a pole, says one texture. I mean, that just generally seems like a bad idea, cold or not. Licking a, licking a flagpole? I mean. You've you, never done it? You don't know what's been there. Well, it's true. Sometimes you just need that crisp taste of metal. I, I, don't, I don't know that you do. Too cold to leave the bed? I was feeling that yeah. today. Yeah. Uh, too cold to keep the beer in the garage fridge. I have moved all of the soda and all of the beer in from our garage. And it's just a sad, it's sad. You're in the mudroom. There's your, I mean, it's mostly sad because like that, that beer needs to be enjoyed. Doesn't look right sitting in there. Keep these, keep these coming. 651-461-9226. It is too cold to what? It's not too cold to visit with Alicia from the Buttered Tin. We will do that after CBS News. Baseball season is heating up. Odyssey has you covered with the most entertaining coverage of your team. Stay locked in and in the know with the local voices you trust as they bring you unfiltered takes, recap games, react to the latest team news, and talk to callers. Listen to your favorite shows for free on the Odyssey app, odyssey.com, your smart speaker, or in the car with Android Auto or Apple CarPlay. 